You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 576, a special edition to celebrate the BBC at 100, a BBC quiz and a look at all the good, the bad and the in-between over 100 years. That's all coming up after Secret Affair and time for action. Standing in the shadows. Still touring off and on after 44 years, they had three UK Top 40 hits. This was the most successful from 1979, Secret Affair and Time for Action. I love that. I love I, I love quite a lot of that mod revival stuff. Some of it has yes. aged better than, than other bits of it, but that's, but that's a very cheering song. I do feel that it is time for action when I hear that. It mm. does make me sort of want to get up from wherever I'm sitting if I hear it and, or jump off whichever train or bus I'm on and just kind of get on with life, really. I love it. Hello, thanks for joining us for Parish Council episode 576. Um, this mm. is a, it's a BBC special, 100 mm. years old. Um, I'm Terence Stackham, and has she super glued herself to her desk? <laughs> Let's find out, Juliet Harris. 
Well, in these times, Terence, who can afford the super glue? That's what yeah, I would say. Anyway, mm-hmm. nor have I thrown soup at my laptop or, or done any <laughs> of those those things that people seem to want to do yes. nowadays. I wish them well with it, but I feel that a life of flinging liquids and gluing myself to things it gets in the way of what I want to do, Terence. I yeah, want to do other it. things, like listen to Secret Affair. Maybe some people should listen to Secret Affair more. I don't know. Their business is their own. Hello, everyone. I know what an explosion of joy it brings uh, when I introduce a quiz (laughs) (laughs) that you've received no warning about whatsoever. Yes, um, I I mean, I I am really good at faking enthusiasm for these now. It has to be that. Yeah, Terence, you and your blinking quizzes. Love it. (laughs) So I mean, it's much delight that I will be bringing you a quiz that reflects time and television mm. um, for we, we record this in the very month that the british broadcasting corporation was founded 18th of october 1922 mm. sticklers for accuracy some may call them pedants will wish to point out that it was the british broadcasting company for five years mm, it british was. broadcasting corporation since 1927 well The BBC is the world's oldest national broadcaster. The first ever live broadcast had been in 1920 when Dame Nellie Melba sang from the factory (laughs) of Marconi's wireless telegraph company in Chelmsford. Her of the peach dessert fame. Absolutely. I understand Mm. the 12-inch disco remix of her uh, (laughs) song is much in demand. I was going to say, it's a real banger, that. I often try to (laughs) interpolate it into my sets if I can. 100 years of the BBC jewels. Our quiz is called... Which came first? Mm, okay, let's try Ten this. questions where you and the listener have to decide by either knowledge or guesswork which mm-hmm. programme came first, which was broadcast first between two options. And right. you'll need to get six out of ten to win the star prize, your appointed director general of the BBC. <laughs> I mean, I might not try and win this week if that <laughs> is the prize, but let's go. Can I not just be controller of BBC Two instead? That's a much easier job. That's the runner-up prize. If, if you get five out of ten, you yes, and the, yeah, and the third prize is controller of ITV. I see. Yeah, oh let's, my let's God, give it a go. Yes, uh, Simon Cowell ringing you up every other day. Yes, that would be joyous. I was going to say having to speak to either Ant or Deck on yeah, a, on alternating yes. days. Juliet Lucy Harris. Yes, Sir Terence Many Dames Dackham, yes. Which came first? Peaky Blinders and Luther are two of the biggest BBC dramas. But which one was broadcast first? I am going to say Luther. In 2010, Idris Elba became um, the self-destructive DCI John Luther. Peaky Blinders... Started on BBC Two in 2013. Your yeah, boom. I, I, I just sensed that Luther had been around a bit longer. Dawn French, question two. Dawn French mm. and Jennifer Saunders starred in their own BBC comedy programme beginning did. in 1987. French and Saunders. French and Saunders, indeed. Which of these solo shows went on air first in the Ooh, 1990s? Okay. Absolutely fabulous. Or the Vicar of Dibley. Oh, that's going to be close, I think. I'm going to plump for Ab Fab. Beginning in 1992, absolutely fabulous. The Vicar of Dibley, inspired by women being ordained as priests in the Church of England, started two years later in 1994. Yes. It's absolutely Hooray. fabulous. Two out of two. Well, well, going well gang. We can do this. Ghosts and people mm. just do nothing. Are two more recent BBC comedies. Juliet, which came first? 
Remember, remembering do. a discussion that I had with a uh, a friend of mine over lunch where she was espousing the joys of people just knew, do nothing and corrupt FM and talking about how bizarrely they seem to they seem to sort of predict Grenfell. I'm going to go with people just do nothing being sooner on that basis. But being being uh, the first, sorry, be, people just Indeed. do nothing being first and ghosts being being uh, sort of sooner. Ghost, the grown-up comedy from the Horrible Histories team, was first shown in 2019. People Just Do Nothing began on BBC Three in 2014, three Uh, hours three. The logic was right. Thanks to my friend Ashley for uh, having lunch with me five years ago and telling me that. (laughs) A question of sport. Question four. A question of sport and mastermind are two BBC quiz classics. Which one is older? Now I'm I'm less sure on this than I have yes, been on the before others. Before your time, it is a bit, but I am going to go for Mastermind. The debut edition of Mastermind was shown in 1972 with Magnus Magnusson as Indeed. the quiz master. Um, a question of sport: David Vine was the first presenter, he was. followed by David Coleman, Sue Barker, and Paddy McGuinness. Mm. But a question of sport t- started two years earlier. Oh, fair enough. I thought two years out. Yeah, fair enough. Never mind. Three out of four. Bit of jeopardy creeping in. Yeah, surely she can't lose it from here, etc. Here's two to choose between. Which one is older, Antiques Roadshow or EastEnders? Antiques Roadshow. About 30 oh, no. million viewers watched the first episode of EastEnders in 1985. But the first Antiques Roadshow was broadcast in 1979. Yes, Julia is I, I, well, I, my, I come from a family who used to sing Don't Cry For Me, Arthur Negus to the tune uh, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. <laughs> and I felt that he was a figure that would not have belonged to the late 80s. And I knew that East, I knew when EastEnders started. So that made sense to me. Six year gap between them. Four mm. out of five you're on at the moment. Very, very Stone strong. Very strong. Did um, did breakfast television on the BBC, mm. did breakfast yes. television or daytime television arrive first? Oh, that's an interesting question. Mm. I would say daytime television. but I don't have any certainty about this. Well, until 1986, large parts of the BBC's daytime schedule were filled in with a selection of pages from CFAX. I can remember booking oh, a holiday yes. through CFAX. <laughs> yes, indeed. A friend of mine met their boyfriend for several years through the CFAX dating pages or the there Teletext dating pages. I used to very much enjoy when they used to show it very early in the morning on BBC Two before I went to school, before we had a TV with CFAX or Oracle, I think, because it even it might was, have it been It was a then. wonderful breakthrough, wasn't it? I yes, spent it hours. was. The sports results used to come through right. on CFAX. Yes, I once I once followed the whole Premier League football Ooh. match through through flashing the teletext. They were it was it was I often say to young work experienced people in the office when they talk about the internet and you know sort of how old I was when it came mm. in. I said we had a proto internet. It was called teletext and CFAX. That's that what it was. It, it, and they it was wasn't it? It was. It was, a kind it, was of it was it was the nascent thing. And they used to show it um, very early in the morning, like you say, the, the pages that they would show, mm. and it would always have a music kind of soundtrack. And I maybe that is where I first got my love of terrible easy listening music that you hate from from watching watching it played over cfax pages on tv so in 1986 the new Mm. schedule included a a new version of one o'clock news a phone-in show called open air that i don't Mm. remember at all and of course the australian soap opera neighbors that was in 1986 Mm. 
Europe's first regular morning breakfast time show, um, Frank Boff, Selena Scott, yes, combined this is earlier, isn't it? new yeah. sport, astrology, Russell Grant, oh, yes. fit with the green goddess, Diana yes. Moran, and cookery from Michael Smith and Glyn Christian. But that Juliet was in mm. 1983, oh, three damn. years before. Not, not, they not, a, not a million miles out, but yes, fair enough. This one's more up your uh, your street. My Which of these programs for preschoolers is older? <laughs> <laughs> the Tweenies or Balamori? Oh, tough. This oh. is tough, tough, tough. I was going to say this is quite hard, isn't it? I... This could be a flip of a coin. Yes, I was going to say they're going to be a year or two between each other at least. I'm going to say tweenies on the basis that when I was at university in 2000, this is a story that is probably only funny to me, but I will try and say it in a way that is entertaining. When I was at university in about 2005, I did discrim- discrimination law as a module in my final year. And I had a very lovely lecturer called Gareth Thomas, who was just the nicest man. He was so nice at the University of East Anglia. And he'd obviously prepped himself because we had there was a European law case called Balamu and someone oh. said said gareth what's the story in balamoody and he said wouldn't you like to know which was very much a corruption of the theme tune of balamory oh. so uh, so working on that basis i will say that the tweenies is earlier well balamory ran from 2002 filmed in um tobermory on the scottish mm. isle of mull um miles jupp played yes I was, I was about to say yes. and of course they played it when he went on have i got news for you and he was embarrassed by it and i felt sad that he was embarrassed by it because it's part of oh. career isn't it absolutely so that was 2002 the tweenies the puppet show with bella milo and jake ran from 1999 Ah, juliet scores it was it was a it was a post teletubbies kind of attempt it was an attempt to sort of cash in slightly on the telly because they had um pop records as well i think and it was very much a sort Uh of a uh, another gang of four they had a dog i think as well that, that that was sort of i think they were trying to reinvent the reinvent the teletubbies effect Question eight, uh, Juliet. And how many? Right, how many? I'm on five. Aren't I? Got, so I just need one, one more. Yeah. Two, three, four, five. Right out of seven. That's pretty good. What? One more out of three to um, win okay. the star. Fingers prize. crossed. Fingers crossed. Which came first, Gavin and Stacey, or the weakest link? I would say the weakest link by some way. Gavin and Stacey started in 2007 on BBC Three. The Weakest Link, Queen of Mean, as they called her, Anne Robinson. Um, 2000, seven years earlier. I thought that was much earlier. I remember remember being being quite a young sick former when that started. Simple question here for you, Juliet and listener. Hmm. Radio Two or BBC Two? You decide which came first. Oh, now. Um, so by Radio 2, do you mean BBC the light... Radio 2? OK, not so the not program. the light programme at no. BBC Radio 2. When Radio 2. 1, Radio 2, Radio 3 and 4 were set up. Right. OK. When Radio, um, in other words, when Radio 2 replaced the light programme. I'm going to say. Oh, this is, I, I'm finding it's quite hard, actually. Um, I'm going to say Radio 2 with not a huge amount of confidence. Radio 2, as we said, replaced the old light uh, programme in 1967. Um, and the opening night of BBC Two actually was uh, was ruined because there was a fire at Battersea Yes, there was the, yes, they, they couldn't broadcast, could they? Yeah. No, there was a blackout across most of central and west London. And all that was broadcast was the news, which came from Alexander Palace. So Radio 2 in 1967, 
BBC Two, nineteen sixty-four. Oh, I, I thought it would be a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Do you know everybody says about? Oh, they they know the first record played on Radio One, "Flowers in the Rain" by the yes. Tony Blackburn. Nobody, including me, I had to look it up. Yes, I'm not sure I know what this. The first record was on Radio Two. Do you know it? I'd be amazed. I don't think I. I don't think I do. No. Julie Andrews singing "The Sound of Music." Ah, uh, I mean, that, that kind of makes played. it makes sense as an opening record. I think that is that is a good choice. Whoever it was that picked that as a slight pun, I do like that. That is good. It was um, their first DJ on Radio Two. Paul Hollingdale chose Julianne. Oh, Vincent. now that's a name I've never heard before. So, um, so I'm it not. Came... He no, he w- didn't stay long with the BBC and then went off into sort of local radio for a long time. He 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 had quite a bit of experience before joining the BBC, but most notably, he worked on a pirate radio station coming out of Radio Veronica in Holland, and that oh, was that's what he was very most interesting. He, had a, he did quite a lot of filling in shows and late night shows on Radio Two in a very sort of smooth, deep voice, ah, very yes, reassuring. That kind of, that kind of, of makes sense. I do, however, know the first record played on BBC Six Music. Oh, now ah, I've no idea what was it. Burn, baby, burn by Ash. Okay, an yes, which is choice. a slightly un, a slightly surprising yeah. choice, but yes, indeed. You'd expect it to be something sort of like from the annals of uh, of history, yes, rather indeed. than what was probably something contemporary at the time, perhaps. Yes, one. indeed, and it was, and that that was um that was the first song played on Six Music, launched in two thousand and two, and it was played by the breakfast show host Phil Jupiter's. Oh, course he was actually quite good. I thought he was great. Breakfast DJ. And one, one of one of my one of my favourite competition winning moments was correctly identifying the plot of. I can't even remember what the film was now. I think it might have been Ghostbusters. And I rung the studio answer phone to leave a right. message and won a Nick Cave live DVD from a very pleasant presenter, right, right. Uh, producer who yes. posted it with a signed photograph of Phil Jupiter's, which is somewhere in my house and I don't know <laughs> where. So my apologies. <laughs> to feel i should have had it framed but anyway so uh, so yes that was then six out of nine to date let's see how you can round okay. off the 10 well i have question. at least qualified but it'll oh, be you, nice yeah. to qualify in style you, you've done very very well um both of these are comedy classics so it said uh but which <laughs> one's older the office or goodness gracious me goodness gracious me i would say by maybe five years well, The Office was first shown in 2001, of course, written by Stephen Merchant, Ricky yep. Gervais. Goodness Gracious Me um, began life on the radio, uh, but made its television debut, you're right, three years earlier ah, in okay. 1998. So, so I, remember, I remember it as being slightly sooner than, uh, slightly earlier than that. Well, it, was, I'm it was on the radio beforehand, well, you so. may be remembering it from there, but its television yeah, debut, 1998. And, and sort of it was a bit of a moment in that that was popular at a very similar time to the uh, corner shop was brimful of Asher. And there was a oh, sort of a right. and there was an and there was a sort of a, a an Asian kind of moment in, in British sort of pop culture at that point. Because I think if I'm right in thinking, I think Tal, uh, Talvin Singh won the Mercury Music Prize around that time as well in 1999. Mm. So it was very much a sort of a, a, a there was very much a, a, a trend mm. at that time. What you you very very uh, starry shiny seven out of well 10. I'm delighted with that I I hit the post on a couple but it's an excellent quiz thank you yes. Sir T 
I wonder if the, any listener managed to beat your score. I suspect that many did. <laughs> Coming right up, before we look at the positives and say yes. hooray for the BBC. We, yes, we will our, be saying lots of hooray's. We, we will indeed. Concerned. BBC special, 100 years old this month. We're, we're, we're going to, next, we're going to um, suggest where improvements can be made mm. before heading into the next 100 years. And we're not even going to charge them for the privilege of our no, advice. No, exactly. Is, no consultancy fees this time. That's next after Joni Mitchell. The wind is in from Africa. Last night I couldn't sleep. Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave here, Carrie. But it's really not my home. My fingernails are filthy. I've got beach tar on my feet. And I miss my clean white linen and my fancy French cologne. Oh, Carrie, get out your These friends of mine Let's have another round For the bright red devil Who keeps me in this tourist town Come on, Carrie Get out your Carrie, get out your Starry dawn, and they're playing that scratchy rock and roll beneath the mantle of moon. Come on, Carrie, get out your key. I couldn't sleep Oh, you know it sure is hard to leave you But it's really not my home Maybe it's been too long a time Since I was scrambling down in the street Now they got me used to that clean white linen And that fancy French cologne Oh, Carrie, get out your cake Many, many things that I have Satie to thank for is uh, really getting me interested in Joni Mitchell. I absolutely love Joni Mitchell's music. Um, I've always quite liked her, but I've never never been that enthusiastic. And I just, uh, thanks to sort of Terence picking her tunes sometimes and talking about her, I've got really interested in her and uh, really listened to her a lot over lockdown. We talked about the reissued albums, yes. the remasters the other week. My favourite Joni Mitchell song changes from week to week, but Care is usually in the top three by and large. I think that's such a great song from Blue. It's Carey by Joni Mitchell. 
the world was mad, or at least America was mad in 1971. Carrie was re- released as a single in mm. America and reached number 93. That's What's the ridiculous. matter with you, America? I agree. Honestly, I completely agree. Shake yourself up a bit. So daft, indeed. Yes. Stephen Stills on bet... bass and guitar. I know, and I, bet, and I bet the number one was rubbish as well. Like. Yeah, I didn't look that up but when the week that was 93. Yes, yeah. interesting to know that. Um, looking back and thinking back to BBC programmes that have brought me pleasure over my lifetime mm. made me realise what a lot of positivity there is about the BBC. And we will reflect that, as we say, in a while. But first, in our BBC special, we're going to offer our unsolicited but free advice about how the BBC can pull its corporate socks up. Mm. And first from me, is I really wish we could have less of the chase after the youth. Yes. The youth, because both on radio (laughs) and television, on radio, the BBC, ever since it's set up, actually, radios one, two, three, four in 67, it has fixated with change and nearly always trying to push the age range of listeners downwards. And it's just such a foolish strategy that's never worked to date. For some reason, this age range... Uh, age, age range mangling. <laughs> Although we are having age a range at the age, I'm aren't we? Yes. About the age. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh. Um, hey. it, it always seems inevitably to um, to coincide with accus- accusations of dumbing down. And this is also apparent on television where there's increasingly sort of lower value programmes and mm. shouty, visually eye-popping trailers and previews for shows yes. that come across as kind of somewhat migraine-inducing. So TV and radio, it's for the over 40s too, Jules. Well, yes, it is. I mean, I think... I think it needs, so I was having a conversation with someone about this, and I will talk about radio in a positive light when we do the positive thing. We were talking about the way that they try and pitch the different stations, one, two, three, and four particularly, mm. or, or or one, two, and six, we were really talking about the music yes, stations. Yeah. They try and pitch them at particular ages, and I'm not always sure how well that works. And I remember having a conversation with a pal on Twitter in about 2012, and me saying, on to, you know, just generally, mm. Radio 1 is meant to be pitched at 18 to 35, I'm 28 years old and I I've just listened to 10 playlisted records in a row and I liked two of them I really don't see how this is serving me to which a friend of mine of a very similar age replied and went they don't want us it's very clear once you go past 25 they really don't want us anymore and that's why in a way I'm glad for six music because it is the holding pen between radio one and and radio Mm. two and I was talking to a friend of mine that's 50 yesterday and we were like well it suits us doesn't it because we're sort of 38 to 50 that we're, we're that kind of prime Mm. thing but then of course you tend to find that radio 2 has lost its specialist programming i very much miss we were talking about how much we missed radio 2 bbc radio 2 sort of from 7 p.m onwards they used to have lots of really Mm. interesting different specialist shows and we wonder if they've been got rid of maybe it's a sign that that people that are older now have different interests i don't know we were talking about the fact that trevor nelson who i remember doing rhythm nation on radio one now Mm. does it on radio two weeknights i mean Mm. i i yeah i agree with you that sometimes it it feels like uh, like trying to chase the youth is is sort of ever diminishing returns really have you got your own uh, beef with the BBC? I that you have. Want to, uh... and, and actually, I, what I've done is I, I've put them in an order which I think will dovetail with yours. Oh, okay. So actually, when you talk about dumbing down, 
I've said that I miss the days where much of BBC Two during the daytime will be given over to educational programming. And we had it again oh, yeah. in the in the lockdown where and I, I, I hate to I hate to talk about occasions where I was proved right and you less so because that's <laughs> inelegant. But I remember us sort of slightly butting heads over the license fee cost compared to Netflix cost. Mm. And I said to you, come back to me when Netflix do educational programming and public service broadcoming. BBC two and across BBC did loads of bite-sized schools programming during the pandemic when the schools were out and Mm. I think it was a really good thing I know lots of parents who were struggling with home education that really had a lot of found a lot of good things in that and I used to occasionally watch the stuff they they programmed BBC four to match it as well and I thought it was really good and I remember the days of watching stuff on on BBC on BBC two that was on during the day not just schools programs as well a lot of the open university programming used to be on during the day on BBC two and I've got older friends sort of in their 60s and 70s who used to be sort of shift workers and they would say they would often come home after doing night shifts and sort of doze in front of the tv and watch quite a lot of those programs and when you sort of read to archive tv schedules you see um a real change in the 90s onwards where we moved from having loads of really intro i mean some of it might have been quite dry i'm not saying that it, i mean i do think of lots of brown jumpers and endless documentaries about sedimentary rock but having said that i remember (laughs) you know i think that that was a good thing that the bbc did well and now it's just i know you love homes under the hammer but i i really it's just like endless cooking gardening life it's what they call lifestyle isn't it and it does feel a little bit like i'm not a conspiracy theorist but it is a little bit just sort of giving it's nearer to Karl Marx's opium of the people thing than it is the improving remit that the be to inform educate and entertain that the BBC was originally set up with I'm I'm I wish that the BBC would ditch its tedious mostly tedious daytime tv schedules and move back towards having educational output which mm. I think is really good yeah, I can't disagree with that. I don't want to sort of reopen that whole argument. I just want to summarise in a sentence. My problem with the licence fee is simply this, as against Amazon mm. and Netflix. When I'm sitting on my sofa, I can choose whether to pay uh, Amazon or a Netflix subscription. I can't choose to pay the licence fee. It's a tax you can't uh, avoid if you want to turn that um, box on. You have I to. I suppose so. Although having That's one said- problem. Having said that, though, the streaming services like Amazon and Netflix can be accessed through a laptop, and increasingly people watch through laptop mm. rather than through. And by the way, I was I couldn't remember the name. I've just looked it up. The Genome Project um, oh, has yes. has all of the TV listings previously. You can explore the Radio Times from 1923 to 2009. So if you wish to uh, oh, to look at lovely. schedules, what would you have been watching 25 years ago this evening? We can we could find that out if oh, we wanted to i think it's great and they, they, i mean it's a uh, there's 10 there are 10,465,744 listings ready for us to explore and if we wanted to right now we could explore 252,287 playable programs isn't that a brilliant thing what yeah, a great that's, that's wonderful but i'm with you on your your daytime tv um issue there i i, I don't want to deprive well, you of homes under the hammer let's <laughs> keep that on no, but and also can we bring point. back the poddington peas i used and penny crane and the family ness i used to enjoy 
enjoy that at lunch times as a child. But I would well, much rather we had more of a an education. That would solve. That would be pitching to to young. That that would be education for all and also young people, yeah. wouldn't it? So. One thing the BBC continually gets wrong, and generally I suspect under political pressure, mm. is the obsession with balance and to mm. a de- degree mm. impartiality. Both yes, are important, agreed. but it's the way they obsess and implement balance, balance that yes. I think is misdirected. Firstly, agreed. just because someone is on a programme and says that the world is round, they don't have to bring on someone from the Flat Earth Society yes, exactly. to argue the opposite. It's not necessary. No, Listeners I and viewers, agree. we can make our own minds up. Yes. Secondly, balance can come in a more general sense. So if someone mm. on a Vox Pop or on Question Time... Yes, yeah, so our friend Eileen from Aylesbury or whoever it is that is stopped in the road, yes. Yeah, Brenda from somewhere... Bristol, oh, no, Brenda another. from Bristol. Oh, yeah. no, not another one. Not Her, another one. yes. So someone on, on one of these says they support, let's say, the Labour Party. Yes. Well, in a broader sense, OK, make sure some somebody somewhere along the line says something positive about the Conservatives another time. But don't keep score. Don't yes. obsess about it. And in a more um, up-to-date uh, explanation, uh, contemporary was the word I was struggling for there, in a more yes, contemporary explanation, if Martin Croxall is gleeful yes. about something, then so be it. I doubt anyone's voting intentions or political allegiance is changed. changed by her no, exactly. one or me. In other words, calm down, BBC. Exactly. I agree. And sometimes... Sometimes it's nice to see a presenter expressing an opinion and it is possible for that to be challenged and and it works really well. And I have to say, I've been enjoying listening to the News Agents podcast, Mm. which is um, Emily Maitlis, John Sapel and uh, Lewis Goodall. Um, Emily and John, of course, leaving the BBC to go off and do this for for Global. And the one thing that I was very struck by and I will not I will not swear, but I will I will represent what was what was said on this podcast was the fact that last uh, sort of a week or two ago and to be honest Terence I'm losing track of what's happening everything's <laughs> moving so quickly but like a couple of weeks ago when it became apparent that the the Liz Truss had just gone and they were going to have to find a new Tory leader and there was discussion over whether or not Boris Johnson would re-enter the fray uh, the three of them were recording the podcast and Emily Maitlis was away I suspect for half term in a cabin in Vermont from where she was ringing in and uh, she was obviously a little bit behind I think there was talk of her basically being on a relaxing break yet rung into the news agents because like all people she is a news junkie and she says she mm. can't she can't resist it and they said something about Boshan she went oh he's not coming back is he and they went yeah he's getting a plane home and she then uttered a four letter word which I can't utter here mm. but it very much expressed her view but it was really funny and entertaining <laughs> it didn't make me change my exactly. mind I wasn't a fan anyway exactly. it was just quite refreshing to hear someone react in a human way to something she spoke for a nation as well, it turned out, and the talk party. <laughs> so, you know, she wasn't wrong, was she? <laughs> she wasn't. Um, how many more beefs have you got left so I can keep track? How many more what, sorry? How many How many more, um, you know, um, annoyances with the BBC? I've have got, got two. So I've got two. one that so I'm going to answer now, yours with now and then yeah. another one. Yeah. So, again, I, I will bring this in now because I think it's a similar sort of point to what you're making about news. My big issue 
is the cuts to local radio that's happening. And actually, there's a theme, to, which I'll tell you at the end for all three okay. of the points I'm making. The cuts to local radio. Um, so in, in the Liz Truss era, which was brief mm. but eventful, um, <laughs> she, they decided that, that, you know, when things were going really wrong, people around her, who I think, as much as I don't like, rate Liz Truss, she was not well advised, I think, although you could argue that she, she did, was not of good judgment where she picked particularly good advisors, really. And it was decided that that you know that the best thing for her to do the media round was not to go on today and face the questions or not even to go on breakfast and see Charlie State and and Naga Manchetti or whoever it is now I lose track. The thing they decided would be the softest and easiest thing for do, for her to do would to be go on a tour of local radio stations. Whoever it was that suggested that has mm-hmm. never heard local radio news breakfast programmes. Local radio presenters, the BBC, reporters, they're genuinely journalists. They're not yeah. presenters, they're journalists. And she, I mean, I have to say the newscast, BBC newscast compilation of her things, her, her interviews over the space of about 38 minutes is brilliant and unlistenable at the same time because every single one goes wrong in a different way and the reason every single one goes wrong in a different way is that every presenter presents her with or every you know sort of breakfast presenter journalist presents her with an issue that she has no idea about because it's local and no one has sat on a laptop for two hours the night before which is all it would have taken yeah. googled all the local newspapers and given her a quick one-page briefing on the sewage in newcastle the school in leeds you know all of the stuff and she just came across she just didn't know what to do and but the reason she was poor but the questioning was brilliant and again you do worry a bit that the BBC is defanging itself in the hope of, you know, stopping attacks. And actually, local radio is really important. It's really good, actually, most of the time. And wherever I'm driving, I try, if I'm driving somewhere on long distance, I try and listen to whichever BBC local radio station. And I've invariably never heard of the presenter. And by the end of the two hours, I feel like I'm my friend and I've really enjoyed listening to them. I mean, I hate phone-ins, but I always really enjoy them on local radio because you get a lot of... I, I just think local radio is great and I think it's something that the BBC does really well and I think that if you're cutting local radio new and, and it's particularly news based I think local radio if you're cutting that you are cutting something that is really vital and important if you want balance if you're in if you really want balance and you really want to provide nuanced insight then local radio is really good for that for exploring local issues that you wouldn't get on national news necessarily and I think that you are not achieving your goal of balance if you cut local radio. With those Liz Truss interviews, I've got to confess. I mean, they're other... absolutely eye-popping, aren't they, really? I How was going to say my eyes were open, but what I actually mean, really mean is my ears were open because to a man and woman, those local journalists were absolutely superb. They were great, uh, weren't they? Every single one was brilliant. They were in any way intimidated. They just no. really nailed points that she had no idea. Yeah, exactly. And, of course, she fell back. I, I'm getting increasingly weary with politicians. Michael Gove did this over yes. this weekend. When they're, they're asked a difficult question, um, whatever, yeah. it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. But instead of answering, they say, well, what I do know, uh, what I can exactly. tell is that and the that, future and then he, of our country... Uh, he, 
exactly. And then and he moaned and then said, oh, you know, they shouldn't be asking these questions. Yeah. That is, he used to be a journalist. You know this, Michael. You know that it's it's vital for our democracy. And he knows. He knows he's questions. not doing well when he has to film back. He's an intelligent man. He. he I mean, but, that, but I find that even more aggravating. Mm. I know. I know. agree. And I you agree. just do it anyway. I know. I sorry, know. I'm not ranting at you. I'm ranting at him via the meeting of you. I'm sorry. Mm. <laughs> um, controversies about the uh, the pay of talent are one thing, but. The salaries of the senior and middle executives at the BBC are eye-wateringly excessive. Um, Tim Davey, Director General, £525,000 a year, plus Which expenses. is about three times the salary of the, about three times the, salary of the Prime Minister, roughly. Yep. He claimed, so over half a million a year, he claimed £17.56 for a meal at a conference last October... <sighs> And seven quid for a taxi ride. Bob Shannon, managing director of the BBC, claimed back £8.13 for hospitality this year on a salary of £310,000. Um, it said these salaries are justified to compete with the private sector. And I, th- I say, tell that to someone on universal credit for whom the licence fee is a fine. Yeah, exactly. And if these people won't... Yes, and it, 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 Mm. If they won't work for, say, a yeah. hundred grand a year, let them go. And there'll be plenty of talented people yes. to fill their roles. The controller of Five Live, Jonathan, oh, yes. claimed £2.19 for breakfast earlier this year. I mean, never mind raising the licence fee, mm. just reduce, reduce the salaries and expenses of these people. Yeah, cutting exp- cut expenses. Why? Why? I mean, it's, mm. it's, uh, and, and I bet that, the, that in some aspects of the BBC, some news reporting, they'll be going for MPs, won't they, over expenses mm. and salaries. Mm. And, mm. and you know, it, it doesn't compare, does it? Not really. No. So, um, so, yeah, I, I very much agree with you there. And you're fine. You've got one, one last. Yes, I have. Before we get and, on and to the positives in a few yes, minutes. Yes, and I'm going to have, go. I'm going to have a specific rant about about three things, which then will tie together. I think the three points I have made about mm. local radio cuts, not having, you know, education programming mm. sort of being obliterated. So the most maddening things to me that the BBC have either cut or they've just sort of cut indirectly. Late Junction. I'm still really, oh, really. Still, still I'm still. I'll, I'll never that. be over this, Terence. Yeah. The fact that they had Late Junction, which was a brilliant program that was on BBC Radio Three, quite late at night, as it the name implies. It was on four, three or four nights a week. I think it was four nights a week at one point, and it had brilliant presenters who. Verity Sharp, Fiona Talkington, who who I hadn't really heard of before, but were brilliant at that. And then they they brought on Max Richter and a sort of other people later on. And it was a mix of music that I wouldn't hear anywhere else on the BBC or, or maybe Resonance, possibly outside of the BBC mm. Resonance FM. But wouldn't even hear it on Six. You wouldn't hear it on Radio One. You wouldn't hear it anywhere. And it was a it was a wonderful mix of classical and contemporary sort of music and jazz and all sorts of things and it was fabulous and it wasn't really done anywhere else and it was really good and the bbc cut it they cut it to ribbons and so i mean they had this incredibly star-studded petition of the great and good it had hundreds of signatures of names that you would know and from the sort of contemporary music and also you know big names like jarvis cocker but also just lots of you know just working arts people and 
it's been it's on once a week now very much reduced still good but but only once a week and there are sort of night tracks type programs on instead which i don't dislike the presenters are fine but it's just not as interesting arena the uh, the arts documentary programming strand that's on that's on bbc uh, traditionally on bbc2 but on the bbc in general um you'll be familiar with the brian eno eno music at the beginning and the floating name the floating bottle and it's it's very it's just very evocative isn't it as i'm saying that i'm sure you've got it playing in your head mm. um a te- te- television documentary series started off in 1975 um it was voted in by tv executives in broadcasting magazine as one of the top 50 most influential programs of all time has had 600 episodes directed by many i mean Duck martin scorsese has directed for them um you know various sort of great and good and it's it was taken over by somebody um so so wall so so the person that was the, the sort of person that was in charge of it for years and years was anthony wall that was in charge of it from 1985 to 2018 he was the main sort of steerer of it really he retired in 2018 the strand is overseen by commissioning editor mark bell um the last arena film that i can see was 2017 they've cut it haven't they they haven't said that they've cut it but they've cut it and again it's brilliant serious documentary programming that you don't really get anywhere else and someone's retired they can't be bothered to get a new they've got a new person in who i presume is he being paid what's he being paid for the new person is he being paid for nothing is he not being paid is he just a name i I bet he probably doesn't even exist it's just two names that they've just pulled out of a hat isn't it i said this person is now in charge of arena the third thing that makes me furious is bbc4 a program, a channel that brought us lots of new programs on Spawn of Time that had archive things on it, but also had, you know, good new programming, serious stuff that as BBC Two becomes taken over with gardening and, and cooking programs and whatnot. BBC Four was what BBC Two used to be. And that's now going online only and is an archive channel. And and this speaks to me to all of the things that that I've moaned about in this thread, which are that the BBC is doesn't know what it does well it's not interested in what it does well and it's lost sight of what its original redium purpose is and all of those things are part of its original redium purpose and they're all being neglected in this ridiculous race to the bottom and this ridiculous race to placate Tory uh, politicians and 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 actually politicians of all stripes that are frightened by being held to account. And it just makes me really cross that all this stuff that the BBC does better than anybody else and really should be doing better than anyone else. It's what the licence fee was originally designed for. It's just all going to the wall. And I hate it, Terence. It makes me really cross. You know, we've we've come across um, uh, this uh, sort of thing before. I couldn't, I, I can't disagree with the word you say. Yeah, um, I'm so, sorry to rant, and I'm sorry I've ranted no, about Late Junction and Arena before, no, but not I at feel all. No, about but it. The, the the point I want to say about this is that it, one keeps coming back round in a circle with the the, mm. the BBC on this because it it's almost can be summarised in a sentence. Um, great people working on the artistic side of it if you if you like on the yes. on the broadcast side of it yeah, very terrible much people 
um, on the management side yes. and it never seems to change. You no. can go back through decades and find the same issues repeated over and over and we get new brooms in to sweep clean and you go John Burt and all yeah. the way back to Lord Reese. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, you can work your way through all these uh, controllers and it can ha- happen on other um broadcasters as well you know greg dyke and michael gray yeah, exactly did, Ad, did adam crozier spend a brief time there or was that one of the organizations well, yes, that he was not in charge man. Of? yes yes was he that, or was that one of the things yeah. he didn't spend time at? i know oh, he failed at the yeah. fa i don't yeah. know i lose i lose it well it's this fa- i've started calling a particular um a particular kind of the same old names. And I think that our friend, our friend in inverted commas, Amol Rajan, that we spoke mm. about the other week, will probably, he'll end up a controller of one of these things. Oh. Won't he? Of course he will. And I started calling this class of people the failure class because they <laughs> just, they get so, they get everything wrong and, and they get moved. Like the post office woman that, that oversaw the biggest disaster is now somewhere else. And it's this thing that I know that people were unhappy with the ending of Line of Duty. Some people were, but I thought Jeb Makusha was making a really good point that some people in life just fail upwards and and i think that that i would put the man the senior not necessarily the junior managerial class at the bbc but the senior headhunters at the bbc are all part of the failure class aren't they yeah very much so no as i say or, or often but, are part of the failure yes. class it would say do you remember also in that the liz truss of bbc controllers was surely george entwistle who lasted oh, yes. about Five 40 minutes, days george. didn't it yes. yeah they probably yeah. were around for similar lengths of time weren't they oh dear well, coming next, we say hooray for a hundred yes, years. Yes, and, and actually, to be fair, most of my moans come from the fact that it's not good at recognising or doing the things it does really well. And when we look at its best achievements, yes. achievements, that's probably after the DMAs. Step into the right light In the dark times Feeling in the cold 
if you enjoyed that there's a terrific video to go with mm. it too oh, great. They, they they um they have their fourth album coming out in march 2023 and this is a single taken from it, it was released this week the dmas and everybody's saying thursday's the weekend mm, i mean i i I don't know how I feel about that, Terence. At the moment, the weekend doesn't entirely feel like the weekend to me. So, so, uh, so yeah, I'm not entirely sure how I feel about that. But I will try. I will see how my work react to me treating Thursday as the weekend <laughs> this week. I sense not well. I think it, he wrote it during lockdown when they were furloughed. They were trying to get a friend of his to come out and have a pint of uh, uh, yes. something or other with him and was yes. saying, look, come on, Thursday's the weekend now. So. Oh, I like that. I, yeah, OK, fair enough. I, t- I take it back to DMA. So that is, that is perfectly <laughs> fine. So many great things about the BBC. I mm, can reel off such a long list from my lifetime. Um, I'll just take a deep breath. Alan Partridge, The Wooden Tops, Gavin and Stacey, Match of the Day, Play School, The Royal Family, Civilization, Butterflies, mm. Shooting Stars. I could name 50, 100. But yeah, so could I. I'd like to give a specific mention to Top of the Pops and yes. later on the Old Grey Whistle Test. Of my generation, Top of the Pops, it coincided with the explosion of the Beatles and all pop music in the 1960s. And apart from... Ready, steady, go on ITV. There were so few visual mm, outlets. Absolutely, yeah. Top of the Pops was so exciting. And in an mm, innocent mm. age, the bands and us at home all felt that a sort of raw newness, that something big was happening. And then a little bit later with the introduction of BBC Two, which we talked about earlier, of course, mm. that the change to album rock, progressive, and featuring bands that didn't have hit singles. We had the old grey whistle test and it was mm. presented from essentially a corridor, but a fantastic yes. kaleidoscope of discoveries through Richard Williams and then of course Whispering Bob. Absolutely yeah, wonderful. Exactly. And and so iconic as well that when you said both of those program titles, just saying the title mm. put the mu- the theme music in my head straight <laughs> away. It was like someone flicked a switch. And like you say, Top of the Pops, again, my generation, I, you know, I've, I remember seeing the thrill of seeing. Um, and this is where, so Radio 1 and BBC 1 uh, sort of pop music went through a bit of a revolution in the 90s. And I completely see your point about new brooms sweeping clean and the sort of pursuit of youth. I would very much recommend if you're interested interested simon garfield who writes lots of books that i just really like he writes about things that i find really interesting he's got one about fonts that's called just my type that is great i think he had one called on the map as well he always writes really interesting books wrote one about the radio one revolution in the 90s called true adventures in radio one and it's really interesting and a really good insight top of the pots went through a similar thing at the same time and had a producer called rick blacksill that took over that made it into a sort of a Britpop type showcase and quite an alternative showcase and often they would have unsigned bands mm, on mm. Suede would so Pete so this is often misremembered Suede were technically the first unsigned band on because they were between record labels at the time oh, okay. so 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 people don't say they were but they were but the, 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 generally speaking the accepted first unsigned band is Biss doing Candy Pop and I remember seeing this still one of my favourite <laughs> records I remember seeing that I think it was the most exciting thing in the world I remember Bell and Sebastian unexpected crash landing into the charts and legal man in sort of 2000-ish and watching it on TV at my best friend's house and that's basically getting her mum and her sister to turn over from what they were watching so that we could see our favourite band on top of the pops it was still amazing I'm and although I'm across at the BBC4's move to archive only mm. and then 
and then being moved away. They are still showing Top of the Pops all the way through. They have been for a number of years. And I really enjoyed it during lockdown, and I'm still enjoying it now. And we're now in 1993, so it's getting really good now because all the bands like the Manics and, and, you know, it's sort of suede are popping up. And, yeah, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I, um, in terms of my favourite things mm. about BBC, um Actually, I would say, and again, this is a flip of of one of my moans, that actually... BBC Radio generally is really good, I think. I mean, I know that there are there are issues with it and I've moaned about it. But having said that, Five Live's really good quality, I think. I hear really interesting things on I mean, the range of stuff it has within the stations as well so you know sometimes stuff on radio 4 annoys me because that is life isn't it but mm. there is so much on radio 4 when you look at the day's programming on radio 4 there are so many different programs about different types of things sometimes they're quite niche you could argue maybe some of it has dumbed down a bit but there's always interesting things on radio 3 I think is the best classical music station. That's not oh, for sure. a, that's not me being a snob, but I do think that it has a brilliant range of different stuff. I mean, I do feel they play too much Wagner, but that's just because I can't stand Wagner. But I love the fact that they do jazz as well. They've got great jazz programs. Uh, yeah, when they did have Late Junction, that was great. They have a huge <laughs> range of things in You've that. You've got to bring that name I in know. again, haven't you? I know, I know, but anyway, sorry, yes, but you know they have they have <laughs> lots of different things in it, and and great presenters, and and you know, and again, there's a mix of stuff on Radio Two, there's Radio One Extra, you know, they have some really innovative people on that who are great. There's a huge range of stuff, and also for all that I sometimes whinge about Radio Four comedy, the half six slot, they fund a lot of radio comedy, and like you say, a lot of a lot of BBC programmes. You mentioned Alan Partridge. Alan Partridge started off as a character mm. on the day to day, which started off as on the hour on uh, on Radio Four before that became uh, Chris before it came on TV. Chris Morris used to do Blue Jam on Radio oh, that One. Was that was so, that was so innovative. And you can still find parts of that online, including the infamous episode that got hoiked off air <laughs> because he he mashed up. Uh, Archbishop of Canterbury Carey's speech at Princess Diana's funeral and uh, appeared to be talking about tortoises and and all kinds of it was I mean it, 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 it there is a clip of this online and if you can find it it is re it's just it's just so surreal and uh, yeah, stuff like that. And goodness gracious me, as you say, start off on the radio. Little Britain started off on the radio. Loads of those sort of sort of you know programs that were on on radio four then went on to become huge hits and and culturally important sitcoms and cash cows for the bbc so hooray for its its radio budget because actually i think that it has produced a lot of radio that's innovative in its own right and has also gone on to be big on tv yeah I mean, again no word of dissent from from me for and of uh, course my beloved six music which i love but uh, yes indeed um, almost forgotten now, uh, Play for Today ran um, mm. on television from 1970 to 1984. Um, I was a very young and uh, lad, and uh, it, it had a yes. big impact on me, this series, in terms of later my career going off into writing and writing for television mm. and film and documentaries. Um this series, 70 to 84, massive impact. I seem to remember it was on Wednesdays, and each play uh, 
um, ran for about an hour and pretty much all killer no filler uh, original plays and they pre- presented each week with superb actors beautifully mm. produced and edited and directed I imagine very expensive to make yes. many would be would go on to be considered television classics some performances um, also went on to divide actors careers there was Patricia Hayes in Edna the Inebriate Woman yes. and Adrian Poster in Bar Mitzvah Boy and Denholm Elliott in Brimstone and Treacle yes. but the very best writers of the day too just turned yes. up on this. I don't think it would happen well, the, now but those that... things that you've just mentioned Brimstone and Treacle was Potter and mm. Bar Mitzvah Boy was Rosenthal wasn't it so ex- it's a exactly. huge giants of writing those best writers of the day exactly as you mentioned Dennis Potter Jack Rosenthal there was Mike Lee because Nuts yes. in May and Nuts in May I was going to say that, and Ken and Ken Loach, of course, directed Kathy mm-hmm. Come Home. I mean, enormous talents. That Absolutely. Got, if they didn't get their break, it was certainly early on in their careers, wasn't it? Easy to forget that Abigail's Party and Nancy May were actually both yes. from the play for today's yes, strand. Yes, they were, not they? Rose Tremaine, as Alan Bleasdale, Simon mm. Gray, Willie Russell, John Osborne. They're a who's who of the seventies and eighties. So an absolute treasure trove, and as I say, a huge influence on me and the way that I learnt about the presentation yes. of um, a, a, an issue in um, a sh- in, in an hour uh, and to yes. make a real impact with something. Absolutely. Play for today. I completely agree. That's a brilliant choice. And when you say about making an impact through drama, I think that's a really good point. And me and my friends often, and I get that the BBC is trying, and, and all broadcasters do this as well, ITV and, and Channel 4 do this as well. But now on sort of soaps and dramas, I know people that write for these things that refer to them as helpline storylines, where if you've got a storyline <laughs> where a character's going to get at the end, they go, if you or anyone you know have been affected by an issue in tonight's programme, please call the BBC Action Line on 0344 five and and i get that they're being responsible but in a way like you say perhaps better just to i mean i suppose they're signposting aren't they and perhaps i'm being i'm being so perhaps it's, it's better when we've talked previously about you know, <laughs> know people you people after the war didn't get counseling no they didn't they just walked around with ptsd for 50 <laughs> years and made their own and everyone else's lives miserable in some cases so yes. i'm not anti no. people people looking after their mental health it just does make me laugh that you know Kathy come home would have a BBC helpline number now after it. it just, I just find it entertaining. It's just a different, it's a different world, isn't it? Yeah. I, I will step on from that, from, mm. from you and be a bit more general and say, I think the BBC does episodic drama really, really well. And not, not necessarily soap. So though mm. EastEnders was pretty groundbreaking in its day. And I know that people, I mean, it's a long running joke that EastEnders is miserable, isn't it? I remember as like an eight year old watching, and my family watched in horror as Sean Maguire possibly threw himself off a tower block oh, on a Christmas Day EastEnders in like oh 1993 or something. Exactly. And then and Angie's divorce papers, which admittedly is iconic TV. Everyone knows. Everyone knows that footage of Den. Happy Christmas, Angie, and serving her with the papers. But I think the BBC and is still really good at episodic drama. I know there's a, there's a move towards plonking everything on iPlayer in, in one series now. It, drama that's that's really kind of hard hitting and stay, stays with us over time. I think the BBC is really good at. Our friends in the north had a huge budget. Um, its extras budget was like bigger than most programs. I think This Life, which I absolutely loved, that was brilliant as well. I mean, it's produced some written, still is producing really great dramatic programs. I saw Marriage recently which is not everyone's cup of tea. It's got Nicola Walker and Sean Bean in it, and it's four episodes uh, focusing on a couple that have been married for a very long time. 
and not a lot happens. I have to say, I don't think it's a spoiler to say not a lot happens. And I switched it on about five minutes into the first episode. Mm-hmm. And I was I was sort of doing the thing when you're pottering around and, and sort of you put telly on in the background. And I watched the whole hour. I just, I mean, I think mm-hmm. in the end, I think I had to bin the cup of coffee that I'd made because it was left in the kitchen because I just sat down. And they're really good at producing dramas which just hook you in. That just that just hook you in and you think, I, you know, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with this. And and I think that the slow pace of that wouldn't have suited a commercial broadcaster mm. like ITV, I don't think, or even Channel Four because it still has adverts, doesn't it? And actually. I think the BBC does realise sometimes that if you don't have adverts, you can make a different type of programme, particularly a different type of drama programme. And I think it does that really well. So I think the BBC drama has been great over the years and continues to be great. Mm. Well, I think talking about BBC drama, and we mentioned play for today earlier, a handful of episodes of that are available on the BBC iPlayer. Mm. Okay, great. but also, I go on to say, what an enormous amount as well of drama is uh, available on the BBC iPlayer. And mm. um, that's my, my next uh, big yes, shout nice. out for the BBC. Because what a fantastic resource that is. Free, yeah. as it were, with the licence fee, uh, controversy, Indeed. of course. But a brilliant uh, video on demand service, not just to catch up on shows we might have missed in the previous week, but also hosting the most amazing archive of forgotten shows or unknown gems that are there waiting to be discovered just this week i was hunting around on the iplex i knew we were going to talk about this and i thought oh just find some sort of random programs that would really appeal to me this week i've watched face to face with dame edith sitwell mm, wow mad as a hatter really interesting <laughs> but that is bonkers, um, yeah. a tour of soho in the 1960s mm. kenneth williams wandering around bloomsbury in 1975 oh, wow i bet that's fab a documentary really is is really amusing <laughs> and he's very open and honest about his oh, background really and places in the bloomsbury that. area yeah. where he grew up that you know were very profound in his uh mm, in great. his upbringing a documentary by Ken Russell about a boarding house in Bayswater in 1960. That is mind-boggling. Wow, wow, and, I bet. Um, John Betjeman visiting churches in Norwich in 1974. That's so incredible. I would say it's the jewel in the crown of the BBC. I think it's better than Netflix and Amazon Prime yep. combined, the BBC iPlayer. I mean, the stuff that's on it is just incredible, isn't it? And what oh. I quite enjoy about it, and my, my dad got me into this, he... And like all things in life that are great, it happened by accident. He accidentally, when my mum was out, he got the TV on to BBC Alba and couldn't get it off one day and mm. ended up becoming obsessed with Gaelic football that was on <laughs> BBC Alba and, and, and also normal football as well because they show the Scottish leagues. And what we, I watch it with him quite a lot. What we love about it is that they commentate in, in both Gaelic and English. So yes. so there'll, there'll be a bit where we don't understand what's going on. We just enjoy the fact that if it's lower <laughs> Scottish leagues, they're sort of playing to 600 people people in the middle of mountains somewhere and then all of a sudden they'll start talking in English and you'll flick into what's going on and there is there's sometimes a great comfort in sort of foreign language things of just Mm. not knowing what is happening but I found lots of really interesting new music programs so BBC Alba and BBC Scotland do and BBC Wales as well do quite a lot of new music programming which you which I fall over by accident and I play because they do do a little bit like lots of algorithms and websites do if you like this then you'll like this and and yeah that that I, I really like that a great deal now 
I really, and of course, during lockdown, it was everyone's saviour during lockdown, wasn't it? Because they, they, I think the BBC realised again with their public broad, sort of service broadcast remit that rather than trying to flog DVDs and things, they could just dump <laughs> everything on iPlayer. That was probably the national interest, wasn't it? And it was great. It was, it was, you know, every series of Spooks, another brilliant drama, suddenly appeared and you could watch it. It was, it was great. I was really, I was really kind of, I couldn't quite decide what to do my last BBC thing for so I'm going to do it as a general thing and then unpack it slightly hmm. the BBC is the organization of nerds that appreciates <laughs> nerds that loves nerds that serves us nerds brilliantly I grew up playing on BBC computers BBC micro computers oh. at school this was a big do for me so B- British the BBC micro computer system was a series of microcomputers and peripheral things that were built by Acorn in the 1980s for the BBC oh. computer literacy project my generation of people that were school in the 80s and the 90s know how to work computers indirectly because of the BBC because the BBC funded this huge project and and they had those sort of do you remember those big floppy disks were like the size of a dinner plate that you were put in that was my first sort of interface in computing I've got a friend that I don't think she does now but she was I've got a friend from school she and her brother I've known since I was about five or six we were all at the same primary school she was writing for the Times for many years and her brother went on to work in the, the IT department of the Financial Times. So they, know, they, were, they were doing sort of big, serious things. And I saw her on a train a few years ago and she said, I still remember the day my brother came home from school and my mum said, what happened at school today, Oliver, that you enjoyed? And he said, did you know Juliet's completed Granny's Garden on the BBC mm. microcomputer, which is this incredibly clunky role-playing kind of, I mean, it wasn't even 8-bit, I don't think. I would not know how to work computers had I not, had we not had a BBC micro. And this wasn't like nowadays. We have one computer between two classes in our year. And every so often, the other class would come in to use our computer because it was too heavy to be carried out of the prefab hut that we were in in the early 90s to go to another classroom. The other aspect of BBC nerdery that I adore, which I think you know what I'm going to say, Terence, it's quiz shows. Oh, I adore of course. The where where else would make Only Connect, Sir Terence? Where else would make a programme which is so insanely hard? University Challenge, Mastermind, all of these huge quiz shows. Even the random ones that they've made on, I think, again, this is a lockdown thing. Comedians that don't have gigs get given random quiz shows that make little sense in the <laughs> middle of, of, of sort of the day on BBC. <laughs> Very much enjoyed Joey, Zoe Lyons' stint on, uh, on, on um, Lightning. Rob Beckett was doing something I turned on the other day that didn't make a huge amount of sense. There was somebody doing it. It might have been Headhunters. I don't know. But I I love the BBC's <laughs> commitment to nerdery. And also, for all that we complain that the BBC is dumbing down, I don't think an organisation that produces Only Connect as a programme that has quite a dedicated audience on Monday nights is dumbing down to a to a, an unsalvageable degree i think i'm i'm a huge fan of the fact that they have quizzy mondays although in free bbc style they then move it whenever there is a major event and i very much enjoyed the producers and, and presenter victor con mitchell of only connect striking back slightly by guessing one of the teams in a promo to decode a missing vowels round which said uh, they'd taken all the vowels out of this phrase and they had to say what the phrase on it was only connected usually on mondays but is on tuesday this week <laughs> and that's what the, that's that's one the one the contestants read out. So yes, hooray for the BBC for 
we might moan at it for dumbing down, but the reason we moan at it for dumbing down is that actually it serves ner- it has served me as a nerd very well over the years, and I'm I'm delighted and grateful for it. Thank you, BBC. Quite a coincidence that you men- you, you mentioned uh, watching the um, less well known BBC Wales and indeed BBC Scotland yes. and Alba because. Earlier this week, sheer coincidence, mm. I watched on BBC Scotland Greenock Morton take on Inverness Caledonia oh, yes. wow. in Scottish football, and uh, Morton won 4-0. But um, absolutely not meant patronising anyway. It was really well presented, yes. well commentated on, good. and a yeah. real absolute gem just to watch in the middle of the week. It's a great game uh, with a missed penalty, 4-0. It was yes. all going on. Um, and But as I say, you know, you might think, oh, talk to MBB Scotland. It was really well, mm. well presented with uh, great professionalism and with also with, with great sort of humour. So it was great. Yeah, exactly. Um, so fun. I just want to give one final, very mm. quick mention to two comedy giants, um, the Morecambe and Wise show. Such mm. a joy, brought all generations together. Along, I think along with Tommy Cooper, Eric Morecambe had that astounding skill to have all audiences burst into laughter just seeing him just just walking on the stage or in, in our case here the screen and um yes uh, just walking on people so you start laughing you know because it's eric and amazing to think really to me certainly he was eric was only eric Morgan, only 58 when he died in 1984 mm, awful awful business <laughs> Surely one of the greatest BBC shows of all time, the Morecambe and Wise show. And of course, they had that unhappy holiday on ITV, didn't they? So, they they, they so, did. Yes. Ill, ill-advised indeed. Mm. Thanks very much for being with us this week, whether you're commuting to work, on the school run, walking the dog. Lovely to have you along. Yes, very much agree. Whatever you're doing, thank you for doing it with us with you. And you know earlier, uh, um, mm. George, we, said, we, we mentioned that the, the America went mad in April 1971 because Carrie Ke- uh, only made it to number 93. Yes. And we said, well, I wonder what was number one. In yes, that go week. on. I've just been told um, number two was Marvin Gaye, What's Going On. I mean, that is really good. I can't we'll give them that. that. And yeah. number one, The Temptations, Just My Imagination. We'll give them okay. that as well. But I still so feel we apo- I apologise, no- America. You, you you didn't go quite as Having said that, well. though, I still feel that she should have been number three to those two records. I still feel there were a lot of places she could have occupied that totally were greater agree. than 90-something. Exactly. Now, Jules, you haven't quite reached a hundred years of radio shows. No, I haven't. It might feel like that to the people that listen, but no, oh, I haven't. No, but you're almost as legendary as the BBC. That, that is too kind to say. I might, I might be approaching. I think I've done, I think I've done um, over a hundred smooth sailing shows actually over oh, the right. over the last okay. couple of years, which is which is a your great own centenary. Um, mm. Indeed, yes, I should have marked that really, but I'm a I'm an intermittent archivist at best. But anyway, I'm doing smooth sailing on Sunday evenings from seven to nine p.m. on uh, noiseboxradio.com. If you want to listen live, we also have a mixed cloud. So if you go onto mixed cloud and search for noisebox radio, you can find previous shows there. And it is yacht rock easy listening it's not late junction it's a, it's a very different <laughs> piece to that but um but it's it's you know it's it's a it's a nice way to end the week that's what we aim for anyway the the album for which you've chosen a track that we're playing out with this week i scarcely believe it nearly it'll be 25 years old next uh spring it's crazy, isn't it? All of those records of that era are turning. You know, there are these huge anniversaries, aren't there? Now of these of these records. Um, so 
I, I I work in sort of an office type job and when I do go into the office which I do a couple of times a week or aim to anyway um there's quite a lot of people in one big room so we lots of us tend to wear headphones to kind of listen to stuff as well as which I do listen to music but I listen to stuff that I've heard thousands of times before usually and inevitably it is 90s stuff I mean I can't I can't lie of course it is but um but this album mezzanine i realized i hadn't heard it in ages and i thought oh well i'm familiar enough with this that it will it will be you know will be fine for me to listen to and i very much enjoyed hearing it again and i loved this on it i loved lots of the lots of the tunes and i could have picked anything off this album really but this is more of an album track i don't think it was a single and it's you don't hear it discussed very much in terms of great massive attack tracks but i think it's got a lovely vibe to it this is from the album mezzanine by massive attack this is black milk
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. Running away